Coming up on the Men at the Movies podcast, I talk with Dustin Aprea about the rom-com The Proposal. We live our lives trying to control the narrative that others have for us, but that only makes us slaves to them in the way they think. Freedom is being able to walk in a way that isn't dependent on how others see us. The easy road involves trying to achieve control, but that way only leads to death. The narrow road is difficult, but we find life at the end. It takes two to make a thing go right. So join me as we discover God's truth in this movie. The movies and stories we love are gateways to see ourselves and God in new ways. Every great story borrows its power from a larger story. The story that's written on our hearts and woven into the fabric of our very being. Hello and welcome to the Men at the Movies podcast. My name is Paul McDonald. And joining us as we dive into this rom-com around Valentine's Day, Mr. Love himself, Dustin Aprea. Hey, man, how you doing? <laughs> I, I officially have never been called Mr. Love, so uh, that I can say that's a first. Um, there you go. <laughs> so I can tell you that you asked me how I'm doing. Now I feel very flattered. Uh, it takes a whole lot to make me blush. I don't think I'm blushing, but the good news is anyone listening to the podcast has no idea how I look. So uh, it is, I'm doing well. It's a gloomy day here in Georgia. I don't love all rom-coms, but this one we're talking about today, I really do. And in fact, rewatched it a couple weeks ago and was dying laughing while my wife was asleep. <laughs> yeah, put your wife right to sleep. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, this is, I was doing this for you, babe. Come on. It's a rom-com. It should be, you know, candles, wine, no kids around. Hmm. She goes to sleep. It's true. Well, as you said, you've been, you've been, uh, I appreciate you taking some time out. I know you've been super busy, uh, here to, to begin 2023. So appreciate you taking taking some time. I would say a little bit of time, but we've been talking for over an hour already. So <laughs> we had a lot to catch up on. We did. And I, I thoroughly enjoy that. And, uh, you know, while we can have a full plate, it's things like this, talking about really things that really matter in our life and things that are going on in my heart and things that are unfinished in me. I really enjoy talking yeah. about because it, I believe it really makes me better, and I'm hopeful that our conversation, I really believe everyone we've had, I walk away feeling like I have something to dig uh, a little deeper into, and it pulls a layer back, and hopefully with our listeners, that happens too. Yeah, I feel a little selfish sometimes, or maybe just narcissistic, because I look at these conversations, and you know, this is, we are we are well into the one teens now of of episodes of this podcast. And I think of each conversation, if each conversation sort of cultivates my heart a little more, if I learn a little bit more about who I am, who God's called me to be, like that's a lot of, that's a lot of uh, plowing and cultivating, which is good because, you know, if you look at the, the parables, Jesus talks about our heart as being soil. And yeah, I want my heart to be that good, rich, turned over soil. But as we, as we, I think as we'll talk about today, that process is hard. <laughs> right? It absolutely is. And, you know, 
what is it that I really want or what is it that I truly desire? And maybe what is it that we all have in common, like a common ground that we really, really desire. Mm. And at surface level, we could say, well, I want to do what I want to do. But there's a layer deeper and maybe a lot of layers deeper. And I know that's been the case for me as I approached my 40th birthday. But what we all really desire is freedom. Because I'm on a journey of uh, becoming more wholehearted, you know, Jesus followers, that's what Mm -hmm. we're on a mission to do with Jesus, because that's why he came to heal the brokenhearted and set the captives free, which assumes that I have something broken in me. Yeah. And I'm captive of something. And so <laughs> I desire freedom. And a lot of that, I have no idea what I need freedom yeah. of. But what I love about really a lot of movies that are talked about on this podcast that you've been so great at drawing out, I know for me personally, Paul, is that this movie, I mean, it just screamed at me, which is why I was so glad that you wanted to do it, that it's, it's an individual and really two individuals that want to be free. So you've used that word, and I know Paul talks about it in Galatians. It's for freedom that Christ came to set us free. So when you talk about freedom, what does that mean? Um, going back <laughs> to our conversation before, because you were you were told you you need to stop dressing like a teenager. Do you just want freedom to be able to wear whatever want whatever you want when you're showing up? Wear your baseball cap backwards and your baggy shorts and. Yep. As an almost 40-year-old man. <laughs> Freedom to eat whatever you want without, you know, ballooning and having to buy new clothes. So what when you talk about freedom, what is what is this freedom that we're talking about? You know, for me in my life personally, Paul, to be very well, just to be real, authentic, is we have a tendency as humans to really do things and put a front on to make other people look at us the way we want them to look at us. Mm. And so we, we have an amazing ability as humans, the way our mind works, the way we are emotionally, whether we show emotion or we stuff emotion that we can, we can really manipulate people around us and our circumstances in order to achieve results that we want in order to make everything and everyone around us believe what we want them to believe about us. And Mm -hmm. um, on surface level, that can be all well and good. However, that does not work in the long run because most people are manipulating their circumstances and people around all the people they see all the time. And for most people in the Western world, especially in America, that's in their job. And so they're really talented at something. And so Mm -hmm. when they're really good at something, you get praised for it. And it becomes easier and easier. If we work our way up the corporate ladder, it's easier and easier to manipulate our circumstances. And it puts us in this little tiny box of what we're able to do even if we achieve big results, right? Make a lot of money or get a lot right. of promotions. We have worked our way up the corporate ladder 
However, we've put ourselves in this little tiny box of what we're able to do. And people would like to say we're specialized or something. And the reality is if we're moving to become more like Jesus, the adventure is actually to try things that are uncomfortable and not try to make life work. And you, as you challenged me earlier, what if the way of the kingdom was to be more flexible and to be more open to the uncomfortable and the hard? And um, <laughs> one of my good friends says that good and hard are becoming more and more synonymous in our lives as we get older. And that's trying things outside of what we can manipulate because it's inviting God's presence and his will for our lives that maybe we don't even have a clue of the direction he's going. And so maybe there's freedom there, even though it's scary. Right. Uh, freedom, especially as your, your kids get older, freedom for them turns into terror for you. <laughs> you know, I, I, I wrote this down, this idea and what we see in this movie with, you know, it's Sandra Bullock, Ryan Reynolds and more. There's a lot of really great people in this one. Um, but we're going to focus on, uh, Margaret and Andrew as our two sort of catalyst characters. But this idea that we want to control the narrative that others have for us. And which is an insane thing to do if you really stop to think about it. Like I want to shape the world around me into looking at me. I want to be, I want to control how others look at me. Like I can barely, I, I can't even say barely. I can't even control the way I look at the world, the way I look right with, with whatever happens. How is that? How mm. am I looking at the world? And, and I think one of the things that's important as we're having this conversation is yeah, you know, I, I said, okay, define freedom because before we were talking about this and and one of my my mentors says our Christian life is about being fat, flexible, available, and teachable. And you had a little flinch, cringe. You're like, well, I'm not sure about available and teachable is sure, but not flexible. And so I said, well, what, when would I say flexible? And I would argue, I don't think it's a big argument, that at the beginning of the movie, Margaret is not flexible. She demands the world revolve to fit the way that she wants it to because we'll, we'll talk about why she's like that. But when you talk about flexibility, what, how would you define flexibility? Well, the way that we talked about it and have been talking about it, that flexibility, uh, the the way that I see the world is that if someone is flexible, they're willing to bend one way or the other based on what everyone else is doing. Right. Which you would say, oh, well, as a, as a follower of Jesus, I shouldn't be flexible. I should hold to the truth. But I loved, even, even when we, you just said it, you paused because our flexibility is our based on what? Because we talk about when we're following God, following Jesus, walking with the spirit, whatever phrase you want to put on it. Like if our flexibility is based on talking to God, hearing God's voice in our life. And if you look at Jesus, he was both. 
it's an interesting tension um, because in Isaiah 50, in the New Living Translation, it says, because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like stone, determined to do his will, and I know that I will not be put to shame. So that idea, like, I have set my face like stone does not sound very flexible to me. But, you know, when Jesus is talking about people who are led by the Spirit are sort of like the wind. You don't know where they come from. You don't know where they're going. And, and this verse was, was sort of talking about Jesus as he was facing the cross. He set his face like flint towards what was before him, determined to do God's will. And that's where the flexibility comes because when it came to doing his will, Jesus was flexible. Mm -hmm. Not my will, but yours, Father. What is it based on? Which I thought was a was a beautiful even the pause of like, oh, I love that pause. Cause that's that's the determining factor of what's it in service to? Where is it going? Are we basing our flexibility on what we think the crowd wants? Again, like all this idea of trying to control and manipulate our circumstances and our perceptions and our narrative. Like, I'm worried. I'm trying to think what you're thinking about me. There's like three levels of trying to interpret and think. And that's not a lot of freedom. <laughs> no. And what's so, you know, from the eyes of our father in heaven and Jesus, it's got to be heartbreaking. I mean, any, if my son was, held captive by what other people think of him and him trying to run in circles to help people manipulate, manipulate people to think the way he thinks he's supposed to act or what he's supposed to say, or like in Margaret's case in this movie, she is so accustomed to living a certain way in the work world and in her personal world, which is non-existent that she has become a person that is able to control all of her circumstances and people around her. And she has no other option because it has happened for so long and she has worked her way into a corner. She has to show up and do something and be a certain yeah. person in a certain way. And she is held captive by it. And we actually find out in the movie what some little moments of like, oh, wow, that's actually not who you are. Um, but she's held captive by it. She is yeah. 100% trying to control the circumstances. And, and, you know, in Jesus's words, there's a wide road that is very easy that a lot of people are on. That wide road is controlling mm -hmm. your own circumstances. Trying to control. Or right? trying to. Trying to. It's, <laughs> it's controlling the results. Is trying to manipulate the results. And then there's the flexible, as you say, hearing God's voice, listening to our Father in heaven <laughs> who does have a will for us, which takes years to years and years of following Jesus to really be confident. And I feel like I'm a beginner. Um, you know, 15, yeah. 20 years into my followership of Jesus, but 
that easy road is manipulating circumstances to have 100% control over the results. But God says, on the other hand, there's actually a narrow way. And the only type of control that's good is self-control. And that's underneath the umbrella of, are you willing to be flexible to listen to what God has for you? It might be uncomfortable. It might be hard. but It may be something that brings you more life and more freedom than the other one. That's sort of the big stuff we're going to be talking about. Now, a little bit of the of a synopsis of the movie. Like I said, you've got Margaret, played by Sandra Bullock. You've got Andrew, played by Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds is her assistant, is Margaret's assistant in this book publishing world. She's a, she's a very competent, very successful editor. However, when she arrives to work, messages go out. The witch is on her broom. Everybody hides. Everybody avoids her. They don't want anything to do with her because... While highly successful, she's also very hard to deal with, hard to live with. She's got a very specific coffee order, as one does, you know, in these in these sorts of movies. But she's Canadian. And she's because she's doesn't really consider other people's needs as that important. She's put off the immigration office stuff. So she's losing her visa. And so she tells her assistant, Andrew, well, we're getting married. And if we're getting married, I'm a U.S. citizen. I can stay here and keep working because if I leave, I get fired and I lose my job and I don't, that is, that's not going to happen. Like she cannot live in that. That is an inhabitable, unhabitable environment for, for her to live. So they end up going up to Alaska, which is where Andrew's from, meeting his family as happens in these rom-coms, hijinks ensues. Long-term, you know, they fall in love, even though they don't really know it. And then we'll, we'll lay in the plane when they, when they get back. Cause, cause Margaret gets too uncomfortable with the reality of the situation because it, it, it be, starts getting out of her control. And she says, I can't do this anymore. I'm leaving. I'm going to, you know, allow the deportation in a really a a beautiful sort of moment because in it, she's saying you, Andrew, are more important than me. And I'm willing to go and get and leave my job, leave this country Mm -hmm. so that I won't do you any further harm. So that is a transformation, right? We love the stories of transformation and it's, it's freaking Sandra Bullock and Ryan Reynolds. So it's, it's hilarious. Dialogue is awesome. If the setup is a little bit wonky, however, you know, in all of these movies, what happens is you make one decision to try to get yourself out of a a problem that requires another situation, another decision, another decision. Before you know it, you're standing in before an altar before, uh, Ramon, the, uh, exotic dancer there in, uh, Sitka, Alaska. So we're going to start, we're going to play the first clip. She shows up for work. Margaret shows up for work. And so she, they're going to fire this guy. And the things that Bob says to her hold a pretty big kernel of truth 
But then she says something that we're going to sort of dig in as well on the way, along the way, how she continues to try to control the situation. Don't do it, Bob. Don't do it. You poisonous bitch. You can't fire me. You, you don't think I see what you're doing here, sandbagging me on this open thing just so that you can look good to the board? Because you are threatened by me. And you are a monster. Bob, stop. Just because you have no semblance of a life outside of this office, you think that you can treat all of us like your own personal slaves. You know what? I feel sorry for you. Because you know what you're going to have on your deathbed? Nothing and no one. Listen carefully, Bob. I didn't fire you because I feel threatened. No, I fired you because you're lazy, entitled, incompetent, and you spend more time cheating on your wife than you do in your office. And if you say another word, Andrew here is going to have you thrown out on your ass, okay? Another word. There's a lot of, like, again, while it, they are, it's a dialogue, so they're sort of telling, but there's, they're showing you the sort of life that Margaret leads. But so does her response. Because, and we're going to see this again, this idea, don't talk. She is the one framing the situation. She is the one controlling the outcome. She is the one manipulating the narrative. She is a woman that appears in control of everything. Has everything put together, very successful, can multitask, um, knows exactly what she wants and wants it really quick. And you see everyone listening to her really, really quick mm -hmm. and doing everything she says. In fact, the opening scene She's on her aerobics or she's on like a stationary bike with the TV on and she's editing a book. I think that's the opening scene. And she walks in the office and everyone is scurrying, you know, acting like they're working. And she rattles off three or four things and her assistant played by Ryan Reynolds, Andrew. Yeah. And everything's working. Everything is working like a well-oiled machine the way it's supposed to because she comes in and everyone's like, oh, gosh. She controls everything because of how she treats other people. Um, and we can really quickly say in the first paragraph of the movie, how she treats other people is not in love. She doesn't know how. Oh. And it is, it is fear-based, it's shame-based, it's guilt-based. Transactional. Transactional. She looks at everything yes. like a business deal. Mm -hmm. Everything's yeah. a negotiation. Yeah. And so she responds to whether what Bob says is true or not, which everyone else is probably like, yeah, that's exactly who she is. Uh, but we can't say that. <laughs> and so she controls it by putting something back on him. And uh, which... We all do. When we're in the heat of a moment, we're not going to say, oh, let me think about what you're saying about me here and be open to that being true. <laughs> we don't we don't do that. She'll even say later in the movie that what Bob, after Correct. Bob said that she went in the bathroom and cried, which is not anything that we actually see throughout the course of the movie. We don't see that. And so the question, even in that moment, Paul, I'm glad you brought that up. I know for me, it's like, you know, when, when emotion rises up, it, it has to go somewhere, right? Whether it's 
a really positive one or a negative one. And when we cannot contain it anymore, it the true the trueness of what's going on gets revealed. We can't hide it anymore. And when we are 100% living our world, trying to control our circumstances to make everything look the way we want it to, <clears throat> the way we're created by God is to show that emotion. And so she hides that. She, But that's that's the way she grew up. We find out she we, she lost her parents at a young age. So, she, of course, she doesn't want anybody to see her cry. That, that would ruin her image and the way that other people would see her. Um, but the true nature of how that hurt her um, she doesn't allow herself to feel feelings. She She's the one that gets stuff done and builds her life on achievement and accumulation. Because she never wants to be in that situation again. And so, you know, we, the very next scene, they're talking about, they're going to fire her. So that's when Ryan Reynolds, uh, you know, they're like, okay, well, we're engaged. They even go to the immigration office, who's the guy's like... Uh, like, I'm going to sniff you out. You guys are full of crap and, and threatens you're going to jail. You've got fines. You've got all this. But what Margaret does is she's offering him the job that he's always wanted. Again, everything is negotiable. And you might be saying, I'm not a successful book publisher. I don't even have an assistant. That actually sounds nice if I walked home and my kids jumped to attention and acted like they'd been doing work. You're, you're painting her as this, this evil person, but her way, her life sounds pretty good. Remember, there's a wide road that leads to destruction. And it's every, and the comparison to the narrow gate that leads to life is the road is difficult. Because for her, being that closed-off person for whom feelings were optional, not to be embraced, to be rejected, to be buttoned up, the bit most important thing was to be successful. What can you provide? And she believed that her the worth of her accomplishments would outweigh anything else. Which, you know, we've, we've talked on this podcast before how we do that. What's, what's my worth is in my accomplishments, my job. What do I provide for my family? And anything that gets in that way needs to be run over. How do people look at me? What is the persona that I think I'm projecting? And we become slaves to other people's perception. And if it goes on long enough, it feels like death to do anything else. Which I think takes us to our next scene because they go to Sitka, they go to Alaska, they're doing stuff. They end up, Oh yeah, we're getting married. Oh, we're going to get married in Alaska. All these things. So she pulls out, Oh, you're going to wear my great grandmother's wedding dress and they're doing the fitting and all this. And Margaret freaks out because she's engaged with Andrew's mother and his grandmother there as they're, you know, they've taken her out to the, you know, the male review dance show. They're, they're nice. They want to see her at the holidays. They've given her heirlooms. 
And so she hijacks the boat. Ryan's in, or Andrew's in the boat. And he's trying, he's like, what's going on? And once again, one of the first things she tells him to do is stop talking. Whoa, what? What? Tell me what the hell is We get to this point in our transformation and our maturation. Remember the way that the, the road that leads to life is narrow and the road is difficult. This is difficult because she's spent, how old do we think she is? She's in her thirties. So 15 plus years, maybe 20 years. She has spent 20 years without a family. She forgot what it felt like. She didn't know how much she missed it. This doesn't just apply to single women that have been working for 20 years. <laughs> like, I'm a married man for 15 years. You're a married man. We both have kids. I would even go to argue as a man that's been married for 15 years. That if in seasons where I have stuck my face and my whole self into my career, that I have felt very lonely. That I have felt very mm. like I I didn't maybe belong somewhere because I was operating essentially as a machine of churning out results. And I was, what was on the throne of my life was either attention or affirmation, probably both. Um, but also the applause. So affirmation, probably the biggest one. <clears throat> and for her, she wanted to achieve. And we can, we can talk about a lot of different things of what we really run after. And that's our motive. But what we have in common is that we, make life work around us. Well, I got to hit that deadline. I got to do all those things and I'm going to leave my family behind or I'm not going to have a personal life right now. I need to stop going to church because that's taking too much time. Um, uh, date nights out. You know, we had that for a long time, weekly or once a month or whatever. And now the budget's changed and our time's changed. We got kids. We forget who we were created to be 
which is to love and be loved. And the hardest thing is not to love other people because we have our own identification of how we love other people. In fact, Sandra Bullock in this movie has an idea of how she loves people and that's giving them a job and doing a checklist. But yeah, is it harder to love someone or to receive love? That's a question I think everyone has to ask. I know for me, the hardest thing is to receive love because people see me the way they see me. I don't have control over that. <laughs> Say that again, because I think we, we, we sometimes forget that we can't control how other people see us. We can think that we can manipulate how other people see us by how we act and what we say. <clears throat> but the reality is that's not how the world sees us. And that's not how other people see us. They see us how they see us. I don't have control over that. And so how someone else chooses to love me in my own crap and in my own weaknesses and in my own strengths and things that are beautiful that I bring to the world, they love me how God has created them to love me. And it's my decision to act freely and out of freedom to receive that love or not. And if Jesus is right, if we receive that love, we're really hoping Jesus is right. right where we do. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm casting all of my chips. I'm all in. <laughs> all in, right? So, uh, it really brings more freedom. Now. And so, so going back, I look, cause you keep bringing up the word freedom again. It's not freedom to do what you want. It's not freedom to take a trip to Hawaii every year. Not freedom to get a bigger house, new car. Mm -hmm. The freedom is to walk in a way that you aren't dependent on how the people see you. Right? To it, and that's one one aspect of it. But that also sounds, you know, you, we're talking about what what feels like life. It's like, oh my gosh, if I could just get out of my own head, stop worrying about what other people think. If I'm my wife's disappointed because I didn't, you know, go in the sauna with her last night, or if I didn't do enough work today, or if my friend's gonna be bummed because I was like, hey, my grandson's coming over. I'm not coming over to your house tonight. I'm because I'm constantly burdened by. What is this guy? What is this person thinking of me? What, what is their narrative of my life? How can I control it? And to let go of that sometimes feels like death. Yep. It does. It does. And it feels like death because there actually is a death. If you only know 10% of who Dustin is, then I only invite you to know 10% of Dustin. Mm -hmm. and therefore, love 10% of Dustin, engage with, laugh with, and you know 10% of me. And only I know that. Right. So I, I think, think you've shared all of you. Yep. That's all of Dustin that I know. And that's me controlling 
that's me controlling the narrative, controlling the situation. So if I love completely that 10%, you're sitting there. Yeah, he loves this 10%, but I've got this other 90%. One, that's a lot more that he doesn't love. And if he did know it, he might not. Mm -hmm. I've got to control what part of my iceberg is above the water. <laughs> right. Uh-huh. Yeah, and that's that's why we get held we get held captive by those thoughts and, and beliefs, which it's why Margaret ran to the bathroom to cry after she fired Bob and she called him that. Because she has made the world work in the whatever percentage that other people know her as. And so that's all she gets to operate in. So she's held captive by that percentage. That's the way she's made the world work, but it's not working for her anymore. Mm -mm. She's breaking down in the bathroom. She's kind of being threatened with deportation. Like this is where we've experienced the beautiful breaking grace of discipline in our lives where the way life has worked stops working. And it feels scary. There's this awesome scene where she's taking a bike to get some air and she's talking to her. I just need some air. I just need some air. And she's riding along and she's saying, it's just a business decision. This is just a business decision. I can't seem to speak. And then as she's driving along this path in the woods, she's like, whoa, this is getting a little rough. And then it starts going downhill and she's like, oh, it's not stopping. It's not stopping. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's incredible writing because that is a display of the emotions that she's feeling. She starts out on this smooth little bike ride. She's making this business decision and then it starts getting rough and now she can't stop. It's going downhill. She doesn't know how to stop. But where she ends up is one of your favorite scenes in the movie, Dustin. It is. It is. Uh, it's where I woke my wife up laughing. She was already <laughs> falling asleep at this point in the movie. <clears throat> but you have uh, the character Betty White is Andrew, Ryan Reynolds, grandma. And it is just a great scene of her being in the woods. What seems to be like her doing some sort of spirit dance. Uh, <laughs> welcoming all the spirits to bless the marriage of her grandson who she loves with this woman, Margaret played by Sandra. And it's, as you were sharing that, Paul, I'm thinking through how she loves exercise. She's on a bike. So that's home for her. Mm -hmm. Mm. It's home. She's on a bike exercise, business decision, exercise, achieve results, business decision, get back to the way I can make life work by thinking through the scale of which I view the world and make it work for me. I don't want to hurt Andrew anymore. Oh, wait, wait, this is just a business decision so that I don't get exported. I can keep my chief editor aspirations and job together. And she's on a bike, which we find her at the very beginning. So she's quote unquote home for her, which is, let's just keep this narrative going, which is 10% of her. Yeah. She hasn't let anyone else in. Since her parents died, she's alone and she doesn't belong to anything other than the work world that she lives in, which is 10% of her world. And she starts going down this narrow road that's bumpy and scary 
and she's no longer able to control what's going on. And she comes to Gammy <clears throat> dancing in the woods and Gammy invites her to dance too. And she starts <laughs> dancing. And for whatever reason, the rhythm of to the window to the wall comes to her. And if you haven't seen the proposal, you got to watch it. If you have humor like me, you'll find it. <laughs> and because she's, she's getting in touch with that deeper, true self. Mm-hmm. It starts off so uncomfortable, right? You yeah. remember this? Yeah. She's really uncomfortable. Like she starts kind of trying to dance. And about 20 seconds later, Andrew comes up and sees her dancing. I mean, like she's in the middle of a club dancing. Yeah. It is awesome. Well, and the, the interesting thing is, you know, she's asking, well, what do I do? What, what beat, what song? And she's trying to match the song Gammy's been dancing to. But Gammy's like, do your own thing. Do whatever, however the spirit moves you. Go with the flow. And <laughs> so she she sings the song that comes to mind. It's what came to mind. So I started dancing to it. And again, that, that idea of flexibility. She could have forced herself to, to try to fit into the rhythm that Gammy was dancing to, doing the same dance moves and the steps. But that's Gammy's dance. We have to discover our own dance and our own moves. My life's not going to look like yours, Dustin. And that's okay. Our beliefs about God are going to be different. Our beliefs about just about everything are going to be different somewhere. Mm-hmm. Where they lead us is going to be different. You've run a marathon. I feel fairly convinced God's not leading me that direction anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> I I just had this thought and I'm hoping it doesn't escape me here but to keep the narrative going on if you know Paul if I invite you to understand more of who I am it's a risk because I'm I'm taking a risk to whether or not you're gonna still accept me Mm -hmm. now if you don't know 10% of me if I move to 20 or 30 or 40 50 60 all the way to knowing me 100% It's a big risk. And the flexibility you're talking about is really an invitation, I believe, by Jesus in the kingdom of heaven and earth that he oversees. The flexibility is flexing away from controlling the our world the way we want it to work. And that 10% where we really are held captive and moving outside of that. And it's Jesus inviting us to access more of us that he created us to become in the kingdom of heaven and earth that he initially created us to become. But the world has manipulated us, whether or not we want to believe that or not, to live in a very small story, Mm. 10%. But there's a much larger story going on if we, that he's inviting us to access more of who he created us to be that feels really uncomfortable and it does feel like death because we're actually killing the life that what I only live 10%. It's a life of more adventure, accessing more of who he created us to be. It's risky and it's going down a bumpy path like Sandra (laughs) Bullock is in this bike. And then you find out at the end of this path is like this dancing grandma. And all of a sudden we see in Sandra her come alive 
into maybe what life maybe was like when she had a family yeah. before her parents died. And she's remembering how to access that part of her to live more fully who she's been created to be and dancing all wild and crazy. And Andrew sees that yeah. and begins to love that person. And it's a beautiful picture of who God invites us to become more of who he's created us to be from the beginning of time, because it frees us up to really be who we're supposed to be and let other people love more of who we are. And if you go back to that scene on the boat at the very end, what is she so scared of? If Gammy finds out that this is a sham, she's going to die of a heart attack. She's going to die just like my parents. I can't go through that again. And that's what's triggering that response. That's what's she's reacting to this way. And again, this re, this this rigid way of living. But the grace of God will intervene so that the way we've been living no longer works for us. And there's a scene that I think is a little too long to play, but they're in where, where she's in bed. Um, Andrew's laying on the floor and she begins sharing some of her, she's going outside. She's sharing 11, 12, 13%. And the really cool thing is she says her favorite, uh, her favorite group was Rob bass or her first concert. Maybe was Rob bass. And what song do they sing? It takes two to make a thing go right. It takes two to make it out of sight. <laughs> but look at that. I mean, here she is, this woman who's alone, whose favorite song by her favorite band was It Takes Two. Mm -hmm. And this resistance to that. But that idea that like, her core longing is for two to make a thing go right. Mm -hmm. But it's hard when you've lived for 15, 20 years protecting, manipulating, controlling the narrative. And so now we're going to go to the end because she splits. They're at the wedding. She says, I can't do this. She comes clean. She says, she, cause the guy, the, the immigration guys there, I may, I put Andrew up to this. I'm going to go back. I will be deported. You win. Just let Andrew go. And she leaves. And Andrew realizes that he actually loves her and, and wants to is disappointed, right? That, that they didn't go through with this sham marriage or the sham wedding. And so she leaves, she's packing up her office and Andrew shows up and this final scene where they're, they're in the office was, was really good because the narrative has shifted because remember, in, to Bob and on the boat, she says, stop talking. No more talking. This time, Andrew is the one taking control. Why, why are you panting? Because I've been running. Really, from Alaska? I need to talk to you. Yeah, well, I don't have time to talk. I need to catch a 545 to Toronto. Margaret. So I need the boxes to go out today. I want to make sure everything is safe. Margaret, stop talking. I say something. Okay. So just take a sec. Fine. What? Three days ago, 
I loathed you. I used to dream about you getting hit by a cab or poisoned. Oh, that's that's nice. Yeah, okay. I told you to stop talking. Then we had our little adventure up in Alaska, and things started to change. Things changed when we kissed. And when you told me about your tattoo. Even when you checked me out when we were naked. Naked. <laughs> well, I didn't see anything. Yeah, you did. But I didn't realize any of this until I was standing alone in a barn, wifeless. Now, you can imagine my disappointment when it suddenly dawned on me that the woman I love is about to be kicked out of the country. So, Margaret, marry me. Because I'd like to date you. reason why I've been alone all this time. I'm comfortable that way. And I think it would just be a lot easier if we forgot everything that happened and I just left. You're right. That would be easier. And I'm not saying some misogynistic macho thing that it's all about the guy telling the woman to shut up or anything like that. <laughs> I'm just seeing the narrative. This is when the narrative shifts. And I love that this movie did not do the typical rom-com thing where he says, you know, I, I, I want to marry you because I'd really like to date you. She doesn't sort of melt into his arms and they kiss and go off into the sunset because this is an honest response. Like it would be easier. And even, even Andrew agrees, it would be easier. It would be easier to keep everybody at 10%. Mm -hmm. It's scary to go to 15 to 20 to 25. It is. Because you run a risk. They might leave. They might not like it. It would be easier. The most honest thing she said <clears throat> at the end in that clip, she said, I am more comfortable alone. So, you know, personality wise, we can all <laughs> uh, fill in the blank there. Like, you know, introverts are like, oh, I love being alone. Like, right. But fill in the blank. I am more comfortable mm. at work. I am more comfortable behind a desk. I am more comfortable on the phone. I'm more comfortable in a sales meeting. I'm more comfortable in the boardroom. I'm more comfortable hiding from my spouse. I am more comfortable letting my wife deal with my kids and let me be over here, not dealing, whatever it is, we can fill in the blank of where we're more comfortable. And so the question is, what is the invitation that God is inviting us to go try? Not all of it, but one of what's one thing that God may be inviting us to go try and be uncomfortable to become more known 
my mentor yeah. says you spell faith R I S K. <laughs> yeah, it might be you tell your wife, oh, I'll go help him with his homework. Mm-hmm. It might be, oh, I, I noticed the laundry was overflowing, so I thought I'd do it. Or the dishwasher was full, so I emptied it. It might be, sure, go exercise. It might be to your kids, oh, you don't want to do that? You don't want to play that sport? You don't want to do band? You don't want to do that? Okay, let's figure it out. And some of it, those are relatively easy. Some of it might be when your kids get a little older, you say, okay, you don't, you don't want to go to church anymore? Okay. Sleeping with your boyfriend, sleeping with your girlfriend? Okay. There's a way that you can respond that will lead to death. And by death, I mean relationship. You can die on that rigid hill of morality, but you will lose any relationship and any influence you have with your kids. And by the way, that works for the people around you as well. (laughs) Mm. Their decisions are their decisions. It's their life. By living our life in a way that exudes freedom, they're like, oh, what do you have that I don't? Like this terrible thing just happened. You're not freaking out. How do you navigate challenges, arguments, discussions with your wife, with your kids? How do you parent them? How do you engage with them? The way you do it is different. How do you do that? As, as uh, St. Francis said, preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. And that's our, that's our goal. And it's not easy. <laughs> We were talking, it's like, we talk a lot about the difficult life of being a Christian, of being a follower of Jesus a lot. Because a lot of what we hear is, if you do what God says, you will be blessed. Yeah, the blessings come in the form of peace in the storm, contentment, self-control. You're not, you're not a slave to that 10%. You're not one person at work, one person at church, one person at home, you are the same person wherever you are. You know, you, you, we've talked a lot about freedom. That idea that you're not constrained, you're not confined with who you are by where you are, but you can just be who God made you and walk in the freedom of your identity in Christ. That's worth it. That's worth, we, we talk about why would we walk this difficult road? Because the fruit is worth it. Yeah, it is easier to be alone. It's easier. I can be around a ton of people. I'm not talking about sitting by myself in my house all the time. Alone is different than lonely. You know, she uses the word alone, but what if we take it to the word lonely? Right? I can I can be around my family, I can be around people at work, I can be around my friends and still feel lonely. Yeah. It's not about being around people, it's about being known. Jesus modeled for us a bunch of acquaintances and a few hundred thousands of people. And he modeled personal relationships with like 72 or so, scriptures say. And then he modeled some more devoted relationships 
and the disciples with the 12, and then three very intimate ones, Mm -hmm. Peter, James, and John. And at those levels, from the thousands to the acquaintances, which I would relate that to the same person I see at at the grocery store or the restaurant that waits on me, uh, down to the 12, down to the three, as you narrow that circle, the percentage at which I'm known must go up or I'm held captive. Mm. And so who are the few people, the one person, the two that know me, dare I say 100%, where nothing is left hidden? Because if someone knows me 100%, then they love me, which is a choice, not a feeling. They love me 100%, and therefore I'm very, I'm 100% known, and that's very freeing. Yeah. So the challenge that we face, the you know, we try to wrap up with an action item or... or you know, something to do because, you know, this idea of, okay, you said all this stuff. That's interesting. Now what is look to see where is, where are you trying to control your narrative? Where are you trying to control what people think, how people view you and see what God wants to do with that? Cause odds are that's, that's part that needs to be kind of shaken up and disturbed a little bit, shaken up like a snow globe. And, uh, you, you'll feel like, Margaret on the bike where things sort of get a little rough. Now it's not stopping. It's out of control. But when God's there with you, you really have nothing to fear. Even when the road gets difficult, it's leading to life and life is worth it. Yeah. Hmm. So this has been Paul McDonald and Dustin Aprea diving in deep into the, into the proposal. You guys definitely should check out this movie. It's a lot of fun. Try to watch it with your wife and maybe she'll stay awake with you unless she's. <laughs> so I hope you guys enjoyed it and I hope you join us next time here on the Men at the Movies podcast. Something inside has been awakened. I can no longer be who I was before. But if I am no longer who I was, who am I to be? Who am I to be?